I'd like to invite you to please turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Today we have the joy of uh, kicking off our Advent season, uh, not only with looking at these passages surrounding the birth of Christ, but today we have our Sing Till Noon, which we do on occasion, and I would love if uh, as many of you as possible are able to stay. It's an extended time of singing, but it's appropriate to do after this passage in particular. And I say this not to pressure you, but for the sake of your joy and my own, that if at all possible to stay till noon, I would be delighted to continue singing with you. Our sermon title is, My Soul Magnifies the Lord. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 39. This is God's holy and authoritative word. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant for behold from now on all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. May God bless the preaching of his word. In 2009, there was a... Uh, a, a 
popular British atheist. He was a, a prolific, prolific author and columnist. His name was A.N. Wilson, this atheist man, who shocked the world by announcing that he was becoming a Christian. He had previously written a book entitled Against Religion, Why We Should Try to Live Without It. And he did not see, part of his thinking at the time was that he did not see how there could be any kind of good God in a world that is so full of suffering. Uh, but Wilson said that when he was an atheist, he would listen to the music of Johann Sebastian Bach and realized that Bach's perception of life was deeper, wiser, and more rounded than his own. And Wilson said that in time he discovered that the Christian gospel confronts us with an extraordinary story. And he said, Bach believed the story and set it to music with remarkable power. One of Bach's masterpieces was first performed and sung at Christmas in 1723. Bach had uh, moved to a new uh, location, a town in, in Germany with his large family, and he was appointed as a music director to serve a, a group of four churches uh, in that particular region. Bach's life up to that point was not easy. He lost his wife and several children in untimely deaths, uh, including twins who did not live past a year. And that year, as, as Christmas approached, he wanted to create something for the town that would capture the meaning of Christmas and the joy of the Christian gospel. And so where did he turn? Well, he turned to the story of Mary at the beginning of Luke and he composed a, a lively, radiant, brilliant, orchestral masterpiece with five vocal parts and a Baroque orchestra, including trumpets. It's called the Magnificat from the Latin word magnify at the beginning of Mary's song. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. It was a composition filled with joy and celebration and it filled the town that Christmas with that same spirit of joy and celebration. In this passage, we encounter Elizabeth's joy, we encounter John the Baptist's joy from the womb, and most of all, Mary's joy expressed in her song. And yet the goal of this passage is not simply that we would see Mary's joy, it is to have the abiding experience of this same gladness in our spirits today. God's desire is that we too would genuinely be able to say as the overflow of satisfied hearts that are moved by the tender mercies of our God, that we would be able to say, my soul magnifies the Lord. That we would be able to say, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. The experience of joy the experience of gladness and rejoicing in the Lord. The world we live in is groaning under the effects of the fall 
and the experience of this kind of authentic gladness and joy is often elusive. You know that in society today there is far more outrage and cynicism than there is joy. Fear is on the rise. Loneliness is on the rise. And sadly, Christians can sometimes be known as the gloomiest and angriest of them all. We certainly know that ought not be the case, but it is true that even as Christians, this daily experience of rejoicing is not easy. The very real difficulties of life quickly dominate our outlook. The noise of this world distracts us from the music of the gospel. Doubt and unbelief seem to be always near to us, working against our joy. We bring to life a certain spirit of entitlement that leads us to take for granted the riches of salvation and the glory of all of God's dealings with us, his kindness to us every day. Every Advent season, I think about this, every Advent season arrives as the cold and dreary weather is setting in. And just as the gray clouds come and the sun sets early and frost covers the ground, so it often is with our souls. We know what it is for our hearts to be more barren and frozen than the winter. But we also know that we serve a God who can cause a frozen heart to come alive, who can clear the gray skies of the soul so that though it may be cold and gloomy outside, it can, by the grace of God, be warm and lively in our hearts because of Christ. The Spirit of God is working in our hearts today so that the love of God and the joy of heaven would fill our hearts and revive our souls once again. God is on the move. And in our passage here, there are two main sections. These events have been reflected upon at great length by theologians and poets and artists and musicians over the centuries. The first half of our passage is what is traditionally called the visitation. The visitation. And then the second half is the Magnificat, which is Mary's song. And so let's look at each of these under our two different headings. A joyful meeting and then second, a joyful song. And just as the Spirit of God has been ministering to us already, to those who have been losing the fight for joy, to those who are aware of physical ailments that weigh them down, God is continuing to minister to us through his word. We ought to view the preaching of his word as a time of ministry in which the Spirit of God himself is working in our hearts and lives. And so first, a joyful meeting. This is verses 39 through 45. We've seen previously in this chapter, uh, the angel Gabriel appeared to the elderly Zechariah. That was verses 5 through 25. And then the angel Gabriel appeared to the unmarried Mary in verses 26 through 38. Gabriel, and what he communicated to Mary informed her in verse 36 that her relative Elizabeth in her old age has also miraculously conceived a son and is six months pregnant. 
He says, for nothing is impossible with God. And so what is the first thing Mary did? Probably the first thing that any of us would look to do. She arose, we're told, and went with haste immediately to visit Elizabeth. So this means traveling nearly 100 miles on a dangerous journey to the hill country of Judah, which would take three or four days. She would end up staying there, the end of our passage tells us, for three months. This visit, I am sure Mary was thinking, would be likely to confirm her faith and would be uniquely encouraging to her. She has just received this report. Now imagine what she anticipates as she would lay eyes upon a pregnant woman advanced in years who had an angel appear to her husband. If Mary's looking for someone to talk to who will believe her, Rather than laugh at her, rather than sinfully judge her, Elizabeth is the perfect choice. And so in this passage, it's a remarkable thing. And it's why poets have lingered here and artists have sought to to capture this moment. A teenager and a senior citizen will come together. It's like someone from Cross Culture, our youth ministry, visiting someone in Covenant Prime. God had moved in one who was advanced in years and moved in one who was young in years. And this is to show that you are never too old or too young for God to work powerfully in your life. Now, as soon as Mary arrives, what a scene, what a moment. The baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy. That's John the Baptist who takes the idea of being a happy baby to a whole nother level. In verse 41 It says that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. We'll see that a lot through these opening chapters. God is on the move, and here it's Elizabeth who is filled with the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is a remarkable gift. It is to have a heightened sense of God's power and presence in your life. And it's often, which is how Elizabeth experiences this, a filling for prophetic insight, a filling for speaking with power. When God fills us with his spirit, and you see this throughout the book of Luke and throughout the book of Acts, also authored by Luke, when he fills us with his spirit, his purpose is that we would then minister to others and evangelize others and strengthen others through our words. The early church in the book of Acts was a community ablaze with the Holy Spirit. They are filled with the Holy Spirit, and oh, how we are desperate For the same today. Friends, seek this filling. Pray for this filling in your life. Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit. And then we're told she exclaims with a loud cry. What we read in verses 42 through 45. Some call this Elizabeth's song. She blesses Mary in verse 42. Blesses her because of the fruit of her womb. This means that the reason that Elizabeth blesses Mary is not centered on Mary. It is centered on the child she bears. And then in verse 43, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? You know a remarkable phrase in that? Mother of my Lord. That is a remarkable phrase. That word Lord Kyrios has already been used 10 times in Luke as a divine name. And so Elizabeth knows you are the mother of the Messiah. 
You are the one who will give birth to the Savior of the world. You will deliver the deliverer. This is God in the flesh, fully God, fully man. And so there is in that moment this sense of wonder, this sense of astonishment. Why has this been granted to me? She doesn't respond with jealousy, but with amazement. Who am I? Why has this been granted to me? And it occurs to me, brothers and sisters, that that's a refrain that ought to fill our lives. Why is this granted to me? How could it be that I have come to know the riches of this grace? That God would be so good to me. It's a phrase full of humility, aware of what we do not deserve. And it's a refrain that should fill our lives because we too have been blessed by God. And the Lord has come to us in Christ. Elizabeth then explains... Prophetically, as one filled with the Spirit, so this was no ordinary movement that happened in the in the womb, and it has significant meaning that she explains the the, the meaning of this baby's leaping. John leapt for joy in the presence of the Savior. So here is John in the womb at six months, and he is beginning his his prophetic ministry as a forerunner of the Messiah. He he is getting to work. In the womb. Someone said he's preaching from the womb. We had already been told, uh, the angel said in verse 15 earlier in the chapter, that John would be filled with the Spirit even from his mother's womb. So that's part of what's happening here. And we have here a reminder of the sanctity of all life in the womb from conception. The, the baby is conscious. The baby responds with joy. The baby is filled with the Spirit. Then in verse 45, blessed is she, happy is she. This tone of joy that continues through the passage. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Notice there her blessedness is ultimately connected to her belief, to her faith. It was certainly a great blessing for Mary to carry Christ in her womb, but it is an even greater blessing to carry Christ in our hearts by faith and to believe in his promises. And so Elizabeth says, blessed is she who believed. In this moment, as this commendation of Mary is being given, one of the things that I wonder is whether Zachariah, was nearby. Zechariah, who was reproved for his unbelief, was he present to overhear the commendation that his wife speaks over Mary? Rembrandt, in his painting, The Visitation, all of the great artists and poets have lingered here, truly. Rembrandt paints Zechariah on the stairs nearby. Well, we see in the narrative that where this aged, godly priest had wavered, a teenage girl was faithful and was commended. And Luke wants us to learn from these women. God wants us to learn from these women. Elizabeth and Mary are extraordinary models of faith and joy. There's a lesson for us in this passage 
that I want to highlight on the irreplaceable value of fellowship among believers. This is how our souls are refreshed. This is how our souls are encouraged. And just as these women benefited from each other's company, benefited from the fellowship that they enjoyed, God intends us to benefit from fellowship as well. It can't happen the same way on your phone. It can't happen the same way through a screen. And Mary went with haste because she was eager for this fellowship. Apparently, even those who have seen angels are in need of community. And, and it's this relational connection, this moment where they, where they join together in fellowship. That's what leads to Elizabeth being filled with the Spirit. That's what leads to Mary's faith being confirmed and strengthened. That's what leads to Mary's soul erupting in a song of joy. So if you want to be filled with the Spirit, if you want to have greater faith and greater joy, don't neglect the grace of Christian fellowship. The community of the saints. So many of the spiritual ailments we experience in life would be remedied if only we gave greater attention to the priority of Christian fellowship. And so what many Christians neglect to their peril is an area that we can all be reproved and inspired by Mary's example. Look, if she travels nearly 100 miles for fellowship then surely I can make it to community group on a dark, cold evening or make it to church on a rainy day. Yes, I'm saying that to some of you on the live stream. <laughs> we all need the encouragement and the grace that comes from the company of other believers. I need that. And we should all, like Elizabeth as well, look for opportunities to honor others and to commend others and to build them up and to encourage them where we see God at work. Be a refreshing presence for others. And let there be fellowship across generational lines as well. Which is why we never want to entirely structure everything in the church community into segregated age groups. We, we need each other. We all of us need each other. Thank God for the gift of fellowship. Above all this passage and the main thing we take from it is this, this call to joy in Christ. And to rejoice in him. It is a call to exuberant joy in Christ. This, the entire mood of the passage, the mood of this visitation captures the joy of salvation. This is not just excitement to see a relative, excitement about a pregnancy. This is the thrill of the arrival of the long-awaited Messiah. And that's the reason Elizabeth shouts for joy as she is filled with the Spirit. It is the reason John in the womb leaps for joy. Why? Because leaping and shouting are the appropriate response to the arrival of Christ and the salvation he brings. And so Phil Riken says these verses show the joy that comes whenever anyone recognizes that Jesus is the Christ. The coming of Christ is a thing that makes a person leap for joy. 
This was true of John and also for anyone who comes to faith in Christ. A a gospel-centered church, a, a community that understands the riches of salvation and the glorious good news that God has brought to us, that will be a church that inevitably is an expressive church, an exuberant church, a church filled with the Holy Spirit and rejoicing that the Savior has come. A church, by God's grace, that is just like you, filled with joy in the Lord. Now that's this visitation. It leads to then a joyful song. A joyful song. The song of Mary is recorded in verses 46 through 55. And this is, in fact, the first of a number. I hope you've been reading ahead. You're allowed to do that. Read ahead in Luke. Um, So read through the whole book now. It'll orient you to the book. Uh, You've seen, if you've been in Luke, that this is the first of a number of Christmas songs that only Luke records. And this is what we will be continuing to study this Advent season. The reason for including these songs is to teach us that when salvation comes... It leads to singing. When salvation comes, it leads to singing. And there's not only Mary's song, but Zachariah's song, and the angel's song, and Simeon's song. These these are songs that are, are full of prophetic hope and anticipation, full of joyful praise. And Mary, this teenage girl has composed what many have called a theological and poetical masterpiece. It could easily be studied at great length. It echoes Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel 2 verses 1 through 10. Hannah's womb had been closed and she was deeply distressed. We're told that she wept bitterly, but the Lord looked upon her and she bore a son named Samuel. And she said in 2 Samuel 2, verse 1, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. And Hannah then praises the Lord for his holiness, for bringing low and for lifting up, for feeding the hungry, for helping the poor and needy. It's a striking thing. I I spent time this week studying this, this song and feel like we're doing something like skimming the surface here. Mary in her song draws from many Old Testament books from Genesis, Deuteronomy, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, Job, Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. She's, she's, she's drawing from all of them. Critical scholars say there's no way a teenage girl composed this. But we need to remember, Mary didn't spend all her time watching TikTok videos, <laughs> listening to Taylor Swift. She was saturated in the Word. The Word of God dwelled in her richly, and that explains her song. And oh, how I have prayed that the children and youth of Covenant Fellowship would know and love the Bible this way. And that not only the the men of the church, but that women would study and treasure the whole of God's word. Listen, ladies, not just the the directly feminine parts of scripture. There are, are some people, and I don't understand it, who are critical of women going deep into the scriptures or too deep into theology. They say that they should study on, focus on more feminine and domestic things. 
Don't ever pit those two things against each other. Don't do it. We want women of the word. It's the only way you get to this kind of faith and this kind of joy. When Mary says, I've been so affected by these words, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. What's she saying there? It's not just empty words. She's not just singing this. She's not going along with the crowd, singing along because everyone else is. She is saying that she is worshiping with all that she is. Her heart is engaged. Her feelings are engaged. She is, she is swept up in adoration. This praise comes from the depth of her being. And she especially praises God and rejoices, she says, because she has a Savior for her sins. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Our lives should have moments of spontaneous rejoicing in the Lord that overflows into singing and praising God. Strong Christians are those who are often rejoicing in the Lord. You know, so someone says, how are you doing? My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. But don't you have those physical ailments? But aren't there these difficult situations in your life? Though my flesh is weak, my spirit rejoices. Though my body fails, my spirit rejoices. Though life is harder than I ever imagined it would be, my spirit rejoices. You can get there. How? I feel like I'm starting a sermon toward the close. Uh, <laughs> first, briefly, first, Mary praises God for his blessings to her individually. Okay, do you see that in verse? 47 through 49 and here is where we learn this is so deeply relational intimacy with the Lord this is where we learn to cultivate a sense of the Lord's personal and individual goodness to us not just that God is good in general not just a, a sort of uh, abstract uh, category attribute of god but that he, that he's good to me that he's good to you to know it on a personal level to know it on the individual level mary says that god has looked upon her humble estate and that he who is mighty has done great things for me and here we must understand that we can say the same why because God in Christ has looked upon our humble estate. He's looked upon our sinful state when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. He looked upon that state. He drew near to us and he showered us with his mercy. God has done great things for us, not just for Mary, because God sent his son not just for Mary, but for all who will believe in him. There is a savior who came into the world to die for the sins of all who will believe in him. And he rose from the dead on the third day for the sake of our salvation and for the sake of our joy. He has done great things for me. 
And then Mary expands this consideration of God's healing. So it begins with that, how good you have been to me, Lord. But then it expands to a consideration of God's dealings with all of his people. Verse 50, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. She, she praises God then for his glorious attributes. Holy is his name. Have you studied the holiness of God? Have you considered the holiness of God? That he is glorious. That he is exalted. That he is high and lifted up. That he is set apart from us. That he is worthy to be praised. He is a God of transcendent majesty. And his people tremble with joy before his greatness. Holy is his name. And he is a God of mercy full of kindness and compassion. Every one of us needs mercy. Every one of us. And without mercy, we have no hope. Mercy implies that we are sinful and in danger because of our sin. If you need to receive mercy, that means you need to be rescued. You need to be delivered. And praise God, we have been rescued. Praise God, he has sent a deliverer to die in our place for the forgiveness of our sins. He is holy, he is merciful, and he is mighty. The phrase is, he who is mighty and he has shown strength with his arm, those are communicating the power of God. The, the power of our God. Did you know everything is under his sovereign control and nothing can thwart his purposes for his people. Our God is stronger than every foe that rises against us. The devil may accuse us. Sin may cling closely to us. The world may oppose us. The wicked may come against us and mistreat us. Even our own hearts may fail because we are such a weak and frail people. But nothing can overpower the strength of the arm of the Lord. He is undefeated. He will have the victory. And therefore we can rest in his power. Knowing that everything he has spoken will indeed come to pass. Nowhere do we see the holiness of God. And the mercy of God. And the strength of God more clearly displayed. Than in his son. Than in this child. The cross what was he doing as this child would then hang upon a Roman cross and die? The cross vindicates God's holiness in the punishment of sin. It says God is a holy God. His strength is there revealed. The power that triumphs over sin and death and his mercy is there shown because who is this that would die in the place of those who are his enemies? What mercy, holiness, mercy and power revealed for all time there at the cross of Christ. And so strong is Mary's faith that she speaks of what God will accomplish in Christ through this child as if it's already been done. Bringing down the proud, exalting the humble, filling the hungry, helping his people, keeping his word forever. Look at what she says, he has done all of these things. All of it is certain because this child, the savior of the world has come. 
This is what explains Mary's joy. And I wonder, do you know anything of Mary's rejoicing in your soul? Is, is this how you respond today to who God is and to what he has done for sinners like us? It is, it is when God in his kindness opens our eyes to truly see the riches of his mercy that our hearts are made tender and that we are overwhelmed with adoration and it is then and only then that we can truly say from our hearts, not putting on a show, not just raising our voice because it's what we do, but saying, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. John Calvin says, Mary reveals we cannot truly praise God unless our hearts are first warmed by his kindness. Only then can our soul praise and reverence him. You see, worship doesn't begin with the externals. It begins with the heart. And the gospel is intended by God to penetrate the heart, to produce genuine wonder, to produce genuine adoration, to produce rejoicing and praise. Phil Riken says this. He says, Luke included these lyrics because he understood that the gospel is and must be musical. What God has done in Christ demands to be praised. It is not enough simply to say what God has done to save us. What he has done also needs to be celebrated in song. Yes, the gospel is and must be musical. And what God has done for you and me and for all who will believe in him demands to be praised. It's not enough to just say it. We need to sing it. And so I want to invite the band to return as we close. The point, and oh, I've prayed that God's spirit would do a work in our hearts through the power of his word. The point of the visitation and the Magnificat has everything to do with us and with the greatest needs of the world today. The joy and the hope that all humanity is searching for. The Please, the point is not just Mary was special. The point is Mary's God is our God. And therefore Mary's joy can be our joy because salvation is here. Martin Luther said that Mary sang this song not for herself alone, but for us all to sing it after her. And you remember in the book of James, it says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. This is... This is why we as Eagles fans have the fight song, right? Whenever a touchdown is scored, everybody goes crazy. Why? Because joy is expressed in singing. Joy is expressed in shouting. Joy is expressed in leaping and praising the name of God. Joy has dawned upon the earth. Hope has come into all the world. God has kept his word, and he who is mighty has done great things for me. Now my soul magnifies the Lord. I rejoice in the God who saves. I will trust his unfailing love. I will sing his praises all my days. Christian, will you magnify the Lord? Will you rejoice today in the God who saves? Will you trust his unfailing love? Let's sing his praises all our days, singing the praises of this glorious Savior.